University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. It is indeed a joy to be with you in this room in worship today. Although your congregation and the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship share a partnership that has lasted for decades, there's nothing quite like being here to really experience the gift and the reach of that partnership. And being here with you, we know more how to celebrate your uniqueness, to remember you in prayer, and to give thanks to the risen Jesus for all the ways that he is still at work among you. Ways that he is still at work among you. So it is only right that we turn now to a time of prayer because Jesus, help me, help us find our proper place. So would you join me as we pray together? Gracious and holy Lord, we come to you this morning praising your holy name. For you alone are worthy of all praise and glory and honor and power and dominion. It is in you and you alone that we live and move and have our being. It is by the remarkable and relentless love we outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we are strengthened and encouraged for the facing of each hour and even the living of this day. And so in these moments, triune God, we pray that you would focus us on you, your power, your love, your grace, Cast all distractions aside so that we might be focused on you and you alone. Lord, when we see you clearly, when you are our vision, it is immediately clear to us that we have lost our proper place. You've called us to follow you, but so often we try to get ahead of you. We have sinned against you by saying things we speak. And so we pray that you would forgive us for our sins and help us find our proper place again. Lord, this morning I thank you for the beautiful and powerful ways you are at work in the life and ministry of University Baptist Church. I thank you for their desire to be formed more and more in your likeness. I thank you for their commitment to offer a unique and compelling witness to your love in Baton Rouge and all around the world. I thank you for the vision for formation that you are giving them. And I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on them in this hour and in the days ahead to strengthen them and encourage them for new paths of service now and in the future. 
Lord, this has been an exhausting time to be the church through months and months and months of multiple pandemics. And so we pray that in this complicated, difficult time, you and you alone would renew us and restore us. Come, Spirit, come. Our hearts control. Come, Spirit, come. Give us your love to guide and direct us. Come, Spirit, come. Make us whole. I ask this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I invite you now to hear a reading from the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Beginning at verse Galilee, Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands. They will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So when they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. They were silent, for they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Those disciples sure are ambitious, aren't they? And they've got some nerve, don't they? I mean, Jesus has just told them for the second time, and not the last time, what's going to happen when they get to Jerusalem on this journey they have started a chapter earlier. More or less, the repeated refrain, not just this time, but one time before and one more time to come, is we're going to Jerusalem. It's going to be ugly. When we get there, I am going to be abused, violently killed, and on the third day, I'll rise again. But even as he is telling them this... They are behind him having their own conversation. This may actually be the first sign of what we have later come to call parking lot conversations. You know, the conversation that happens before the meeting in the parking lot? Or the conversation that happens after the meeting in the parking lot? Well, the parking lot conversation going on behind Jesus as he's trying to tell his disciples what is ahead of all of them is this. Hey, Which one of us is the greatest? Aren't they ambitious? And don't they have nerve to be angling for greatness, angling to be first, trying to figure out who has the most potential as Jesus is trying to prepare them for a devastating last time this happens. A chapter later, In Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 32, the same pattern plays out. 
Jesus is saying for a third time what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And no sooner than he finishes telling them in verses 32 and 33 and 34 of Mark 10, then James and John come forward and they request a private meeting. And what is it that James and John ask of Jesus in the private meeting? Can you arrange for it, Jesus, that when you come into your glory and have all this power, that one of us can sit on your right hand and one of us can sit on your left? Let us be the greatest. Well, like all private meetings, it doesn't stay private. And the other disciples salted that James and John have the nerve to ask for positions of power, or are they just frustrated that James and John beat the rest of them to the meeting? These disciples are seized with this ambition, this desire for greatness, this aspiration for prominence, this desire to advance their own cause. And later in the New Testament and in in other texts, the Apostle James writes in his letter and speaks about the destructive power of what he calls selfish ambition. You see, it turns out that this issue of ambition, of selfish ambition, did not uh, get confined and resolved in Mark 9 and 10. (laughs) But that even after Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, there were people in the growing disciple community who were overtaken by what James in James 3 and Paul in Philippians describe as selfish ambition. This desire to find some way in following Jesus to advance my own cause, to pursue my own agenda, to advance my own standing in the world, selfish ambition. James says it's the root of all kinds of destruction. And you see that in Mark 9 and 10 as these disciples get turned against each other in their pursuit of power and prominence and position. Well, good thing we fixed that decades ago, right? Truth is that selfish ambition is alive and well in the world. And as tempting as it might be for me to stand up here and hold forth for a while about the the ways that selfish ambition has torn apart American politics. (laughs) You don't need me for that. That's obvious. And as tempting as it might be to stand up here and rail against all the ways that selfish ambition tears apart businesses and other public spaces, you don't need me for that either. There's plenty of science on that. Instead, I think we are called to search our own hearts and look in our own lives and see all the places that Selfish ambition, the desire to get ahead, the desire to advance my own cause, the desire to use the church as an opportunity for personal gain is still at work in my own soul and in my own heart and close to me. All of us, surely all of us who follow Jesus at one time or another have found ourselves exactly where James and John are in Mark 10 and exactly where all the disciples are in Mark 9 expressing some kind of selfish ambition. 
are thinking about faith only from the perspective of what can Jesus do for me. What I want to point out to us this morning, though, is what happens next. Because what we might expect is for Jesus to respond to his disciples by saying to them, get rid of all the ambition. Right? This ambition is bad news. Get rid of this desire for greatness. Get in your place. Stay back here. Follow me. No ambition. Welcome to the no ambition zone, we might think. We're about to hear Jesus say. But I love what Baptist New Testament scholar Alan Culpepper says about this text. What Jesus does next is not to say to his disciples, have no ambition. What Jesus does next is not to say to his disciples, stop trying to be first. No, Alan says that what Jesus does in this passage is tell his disciples what it really means to be first as a follower of Jesus. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your servant. In chapter 10, he says it again. Whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's not saying to his disciples, have no ambition. He's not saying to his disciples, don't try to be first. No, instead he's doing something harder. It would actually be easier for Jesus to say, no ambition, no desire to be first, no aspiration, no nothing. But that's not what Jesus says. Instead, Jesus tries to convert the ambition of his disciples from an ambition that is selfish to an ambition that is holy. He tries to ask his disciples to confess and repent and trade in all that selfish ambition and replace it with an ambition for service. To replace it with an ambition for love. To replace it with an aspiration to participate with Jesus in healing all the brokenness in the world. And loving all the little children who the world ignores. And repairing all the broken places that have been torn apart by selfish ambition in the world. And too often selfish ambition in the church. Jesus does not say, if you're going to follow me, have no ambition. No, he says, if you're going to follow me, have an ambition to serve. If you're going to follow me, be first at the things I prioritize. Or as he said in another place, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and everything else will be taken care of itself. <laughs> Have an ambition that is holy. Let it guide you. Let it propel you. Let it compel you. Let it overtake you. Baptize your ambition and be transformed. I think in one way of reading the Apostle Paul's life is it could be as a conversion from selfish ambition to holy ambition. I'll throw this in at no extra charge. And if it doesn't work, you can know you didn't have to pay any extra for it. But like early in Paul's life, he persecutes Christians. And even early in his life, he'll write his letters and say, hey, y'all imitate me. Be like me. Some say that sounds a little narcissistic, a little self-centered, a little self-absorbed. 
But in one of his later letters, in one of its later chapters, in Philippians 3, do you know what you hear in Paul's testimony? You hear a different kind of ambition. You hear Paul say, I consider everything I once gained as lost. Well, that's the nice civil translation. <laughs> the real translation is, I consider it trash. And instead, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering. If in becoming like him, I can somehow attain the resurrection of the dead. I do not believe I have already attained this, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to that which lies ahead, I press on toward the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you hear the ambition in that phrase? Do you hear the desire? Do you hear the drive, not a selfish ambition anymore, but a longing to be formed in Christ, a longing to, be, to know Christ more and more, a longing to participate in his death and resurrection, a longing to share his life? Do you hear at least the beginning of a holy ambition through which Paul himself is being remade and through which the world will be remade through his witness? Philippians is not just a testimony for holy ambition, it's also an invitation because, you know, at the very end of Philippians, after Paul has asked for some people to stop fighting with each other, you know what else he says? He says, if there's anything pure, if there's anything just, if there's anything holy, if there is any excellence or anything worthy of praise think about those things set your mind on those things is that not an invitation to the same kind of holy ambition that Jesus challenged his disciples toward in Mark 9 this morning I want to ask you what kind of ambition drives your life with Jesus. I can, the easier one is get rid of your ambition. Get rid of it. No ambition zone. No desire, no motivation. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus invites us to lay down all of the selfishness and malice and absorption and narcissism that so often plagues our spirituality and invites us to develop an ambition toward service and love and holy purpose. What kind of ambition drives your life of faith? What is it you long for? What do you want? What are you seeking? What propels you? Why in the middle of a pandemic are you still being formed in faith and coming to church even with the challenges and the frustrations? I want to ask you this morning, how do you help one another 
lay aside selfish ambition and cultivate holy ambition? What kind of challenging questions do you need to ask one another? What kind of ways do you need to pray for one another? What kind of ways do you need to study the scriptures together? What kind of questions and prayers? And I want to ask you most of all, what's your ambition for this church? What I'm about to share with you up to the pandemic, but I can't. It was before the pandemic. Uh, I had the opportunity to preach in a CBF congregation. That's probably all I should say about that. And Adam had the opportunity to conduct a focus group with lay leaders of that congregation. And he asked him one of those carefully designed questions. Uh, specific enough to be helpful, but open in enough to let anything happen. What do you most celebrate in the life of your church over the last several years? You know what the answer was? Correct me if I'm wrong. We survived. I wasn't so much surprised as I was heartbroken. If there's anything commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. My sisters and brothers in Christ, the Lord Jesus did not go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and rise again so that we could survive. Of multiple pandemics so we could crawl across some finish line if and when we get to the finish line of these pandemics. Take the man at his word in John's gospel when he said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I wonder what is your holiest aspiration, your holiest ambition for University Baptist Church? What has the God who raised Jesus from the dead most uniquely equipped you to be and do as a congregation. How might that vision so overwhelm you that you would give yourselves fully to it? How might you throw your whole lives toward a holy ambition to serve those in need, to love unconditionally, to repair the broken places, to be a living embodiment of the resurrection power of God in Jesus Christ our Lord? How might you give yourself completely to that. The disciples were talking amongst themselves and saying, hey, I'm better than you. 
I'm better than you. Sounds like the worst long drive conversations in my family. Reminds me of conversations with my sister and I had in the back seat in the 1970s. That was my answer, but not for that reason. Jesus says, let me grow in you an ambition so holy that it will propel you through the most challenging times to the most transforming place until everyone who sees you knows that I am alive in you. That's my ambition for you. Amen. As we come to this time of silent reflection and prepare to receive our Lord's Supper, I invite you to reflect on where in my life am I toward a more holy ambition? And how am I being called today to help this congregation discover God's holy dream for our life together.